0: I'm Danny Stover, and this is Today in TO, a podcast that takes a look at the biggest stories in the city and connects the dots on what's going on. On today's episode, why is rent so high? Well, one reason could be because of the increase in N-12s and N-13s. You'll find out what exactly those are. But basically, this is where tenants are evicted through no fault of their own because of a possible renovation and a key word, intent. You'll find out what's going on with the landlord-tenant board as well. Get this tribunal some probiotics because she is backed up. Plus, it appears Toronto pulled an all-nighter coming up with a winter plan for the city's unhoused. Hold on. Is this it? You had all summer. You'll also learn more about some of Toronto's most haunted, including, and I'm not even making this up, before it was Queen's Park, Ontario's Legislative Assembly was a former hospital for the insane that's now occupied by a ghost simply referred to as the White Lady. Ooh, I'm scared. That's all coming up on Today in T.O. Good intentions. Maybe at the beginning of the week or going into the weekend, you're going to clean the house. You're going to get a workout in. Maybe you'll even get cracking on that school project, even though you still have two weeks to get it done. Maybe you're going to make all your own food this week, no takeout. And of course, if there's time left over, you're going to get started on that next great Canadian novel you've been putting off. However, in the wise words of Gia Gunn from RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars Season 4, what you want to do isn't what you're gonna do. Because intentions and actions are two very different things. And trust me, this isn't meant to make you feel a type of way about not getting those things done. It's to make a point about intent as it pertains to landlords serving tenants with N-12 and N-13 notices. Jordi Dent is executive director of the Metro Tenants Association.
1: The number one uh, way that landlords are doing this in Ontario right now is through the N-12 form. Um, a bunch of them, when you can't do that, like if you're a big corporate landlord, you can't use the N-12, they then try for a rent eviction, which is on the N-13 form. And if you ask any tenant in, in Toronto right now, um, you know, homeowners might not know what N-12, N-13 means, but every tenant does, because that's the big fear that they all have, that they're going to get one of these and be forced out by the landlord, and it might just be totally made up.
0: What? Made up? That's not very honest. And these N-12s, for example, are when tenants are evicted through no fault of their own. And usually it's the old, yeah, you got to get out because we're renovating. Oh, no, not for you. Um, I have a family member, a second cousin who intends to move in.
2: In
1: fact, the way the the law is written is particularly slimy because it doesn't say the landlord has to move in for a year. It says they have to intend to move in for a year. So you're never going to believe this. Many landlords intend to move in for a year. And then once the tenant is gone, by magic somehow, they don't move in and they you know double the rent, uh, cash in.
0: How often is this happening?
1: Last year, the Landlord and Tenant Board provided us with data for 10 months. And at the rate those were going, there's 84,000 N12 notices that were downloaded in Ontario last year. Landlord advocates have told us they think 50 to 80 percent of these are fraudulent. That means in Ontario, 40 to 60,000 people every year are getting turfed. They're being defrauded of their cheap rental contract. And a new person is going to come in and have to pay a way higher rent. This is all illegal. It's, it's pushing our rents up and up and up. This is partially because we have a different type of rent control in Ontario. But again, it's a crisis. Um, uh, you got a river of eviction fraud. And, you know, we've been begging someone to tackle this. Unfortunately, it's affecting tenants, so not a lot of people care.
0: Already this year, N-12 applications have increased by 77 percent. As Jordy says, this is an issue that plays into the lack of affordability and availability. The landlord might spend on renovations and have to find a new tenant at a higher price, and that's their cross to bear. They might make some more money. But on the other side, the tenant could be looking down the barrel at homelessness, and it's incredibly stressful to not have a home, and it's incredibly stressful to constantly be worrying about not having a home. So who should be tackling this? And please, don't say Doug Ford.
1: Uh, The Ontario provincial government, and as I think we've seen over the last few months, uh, unless you're a you know a well-connected developer, they don't really care.
0: Yeah, some might say Ford tried to end 12 the greenbelt, but there is the landlord-tenant board, right? The LTB's role is to resolve disputes between landlords and tenants through mediation or adjudication. A report published back in May said that the backlog at the tribunal had grown to more than 38,000 applications. This does suck for everyone involved, whether you're a landlord or a tenant. And look. Maybe I should just state it for the record now. This is not meant to be a hit piece on landlords, small, medium, or large. It's to shine a light on a system that's not working the way it should. There are cracks, and when there are cracks, it becomes easier for folks to take a wrong step and fall through them. I want you to hear this clip from Elaine Page. She's a paralegal in Toronto, and this should give you a sense of how the Landlord-Tenant Board
2: works. It really depends on the type of application that we're filing. So for example, I filed some L1 applications last week, which are for arrears of rent. They're very straightforward arrears of rent applications. And I've got hearing dates in February for those. Um, if we're doing an application where the owner requires their own use uh, or a purchaser um, is, is, is intending on residing there, then, you know, those are still eight or nine months. I have files that are into their second year.
0: So if the tenant isn't paying, the landlord files some paperwork and they'll get that sorted and might be seen in five months or so. Not ideal if someone is living on your property and not paying. However, if you're a tenant, you're given an N-12, the landlord wants to renovate and intends to move in themselves or have a family member move in, you can take your lumps move out, try to find another place to live that doesn't chew up more than 30% of your income. And there's all the stress and costs associated with moving. Or you can stop paying rent, although I wouldn't recommend that. Or you can shoot your shot with the LTB, but just know it might take two years to reach the top of the pile. Oh, but there is just one more option that is born out of a backlog.
2: There is sort of this, backdoor industry happening now, which we call cash for keys. So if people want to close their properties, the only, you know, one of the only ways to do it is to pay out the tenants. And some of the asks are unbelievable there. You know, I mean, 20,000 is sort of a normal ask, but I get asks of 80, 90, $100,000. Mm-hmm. They're doing tons of cash for keys deals. I mean, I probably do 30 a month. Um, And that's just me. And I've got lots of colleagues. Um, We're not paying out, you know, $100,000, but we are paying out. So it's happening. It's the only way to close a property. How do we nip this in the bud, so to speak?
0: What are some policies that may stop this from happening so much? And what would actually protect tenants from being bounced around like this? And likewise, protect landlords from having to deal with bad tenants. In New Westminster BC, they've implemented an anti-renoviction bylaw that fined landlords up to $1000 a day. In order to comply with the bylaw, landlords had to both demonstrate it was necessary for the tenant to vacate their unit for renovation work and provide tenants with a written offer to return to the unit at the same price. Prior to the bylaw, there were 300 renovictions in 3 years. The year after the bylaw There were none. Now, in Burnaby, just outside of Vancouver, where they have big issues with this as well, and where the average rent for a two-bedroom is up 7% from last year, it'll cost you about $2,500 a month, which is similar to Toronto. Though here we saw a 16% increase. But in Burnaby, they have something called the tenant assistance policy. And some say it's one of the best tenant protection policies in the country. It's based on four key elements. The right to return to a similar unit at roughly the same rent when renovation work is finished. The developer or landlord is obliged to help tenants find interim housing if needed. The rezoning applicant must pay a top-up fee to cover any additional rental costs tenants incur with their interim housing. And financial assistance is provided to tenants to cover moving costs. You might be thinking Ontario has this policy, but... As you heard from Jordy Dent, it's a way looser version, slimy, as he puts it. And again, this is not to color all landlords with the same brush. But what I am asking is for folks to stop coloring all renters with the same brush as well. If landlords really do need their space to renovate and move in their folks or their kids, fine. But if there is something shady going on as we face a housing and affordability crisis, that's a different story. On that note, did you know that on any given night in Toronto, there are approximately 7,400 people who are experiencing homelessness? Back in May, the city declared homelessness an emergency. But looking at this new winter plan they just released, it's really not being treated with much urgency as temperatures quickly start to drop. You'll hear more after this. In just a few moments, you'll hear about some super scary places in Toronto. Historic buildings where the tenants refused to leave. That's because they're ghosts. But first, a serious matter that's also super scary in a different way. You know, when you get a school assignment and the teacher's like, okay, you've got two weeks to get it done. And you're like, two weeks? That's a lifetime away. And then, sure enough, 13 days later, and you're like, oh my gosh, why didn't I get this done earlier? This sucks. I feel like that's Toronto. They had all summer to get this done, to prepare a good winter plan for the city's unhoused. And I know, we had a weird by-election. And so Mayor Olivia Chow is new to the job and has quite the mess to clean up. But you had months, and you had help. And this is the best you can do? And I know, the city is broke, like broke-broke. $1.5 billion in the hole. And Toronto has been holding out an open palm, asking the province and the feds for more money, But that hasn't happened yet, and we just keep talking about it over and over and over. And so by the sounds of it, we're hopping onto the same carousel that we were on last year, only this carousel is not very fun. On any given night in the city of Toronto, 7,400 people experience homelessness, and there are all sorts of reasons one might become homeless – cost of living, fleeing violence or abuse – mental illness, unemployment, lack of resources, health and safety, issues with addiction. As of this month, the city is sheltering more than 10,500 people and turning away approximately 275 others on a daily basis. About 40% of the people in shelters are refugee claimants. And so the city's winter plan that they were up all night finishing will be mobilizing its limited resources to expand services from November through April. The city will activate four warming centers and a 24-hour respite site. This winter, they'll make space by pushing the shelter beds closer together. And that will make room for about 180 new spaces. Another 275 housing, quote, opportunities will be opened up through supportive homes and available social housing units. And though there are still only four warming centers across the entire city, they will open at minus five instead of minus 15. And you might remember, Toronto declared homelessness an emergency back in May when the weather was nice. And now, as temperatures drop, it's really not being treated with much urgency. And some are even protesting. The city plans to open a 24-hour respite center, like I said, on Adelaide Street West with 60 to 80 beds max. It'll be run by St. Felix, which is a nonprofit with support from the city. But folks who are housed in the neighborhood are pushing back. Lorraine Lamb is an outreach worker in Toronto. You've heard her voice on this podcast before. She's a fierce advocate for those who are experiencing homelessness.
3: Why would anyone oppose a respite center? I I ask myself the same question. And I I honestly, if I'm if I'm honest, I think people have preconceived notions about people who are unhoused, people who are poor as dangerous, which I think, you know is rooted in a lot of fear and misconception. and I think fear is fine. Fear protects us. But I think how we make decisions out of that fear um, is where things can be really problematic. And I think the pushback around um, respite centers being in people's neighborhoods is that there's always these ideas that, oh, you know, homeless people are just going to attack my children out of nowhere. You know, again, that's that's a fear that I'm not sure is actually justified by real life anecdotes and what we've seen happen. Um, I think also there maybe is a real discomfort in being put up right against a number of people that maybe we're not familiar with. Mm. Um, Maybe we don't know homeless people. And so we're nervous. And I think, again, it's fair to be nervous. But I think the step instead of protesting against a desperately needed life saving space Um, that's not actually the solution. The solution is maybe actually reaching out and trying to build bridges to understand the situation and get to know some people. Okay, on to another
0: topic. I promised you ghosts, and you're going to get some ghosts. There are quite a few places in Toronto considered to be haunted. The Keg Mansion is one at 515 Jarvis, but before it became a chain restaurant serving steaks and Jumbo Caesars, it was referred to as Euclid Hall. It was built in 1867 by Arthur McMaster, who, fun fact, founded McMaster University in Hamilton. And in 1882, Hart Massey moved in with his wife. Their sons bought homes surrounding the property, must be nice, and Massey's grandkids were raised there. And then in 1915, the Massey family gave it to Victoria College as part of U of T. And in 1976, it was turned into a steakhouse. But apparently, some unexplainable things started happening... In the 50s, lights would flicker, bottles would fall off shelves, and a spirit woman, believed to be Lillian Massey, one of Hart's daughters, hangs out in the washroom on the second floor. Now, the Royal Ontario Museum is another place said to be haunted by a female ghost named Celeste. She was often spotted in the planetarium, and after it was shut down in the mid-90s, she continued to haunt the children's museum that took its place. And overnight, it's said, she plays with the toys. Now, the Humber College Lakeshore Campus in Etobicoke, was the former site of several psychiatric hospitals and asylums. It was built in 1888, opened in 89, and then closed nearly 100 years later in 1979. In 1991, Humber College signed a 99-year lease. And there are a series of underground tunnels where students and staff report hearing wails and screams. Some have sworn They saw a faceless nurse and could smell strong and unusual odors. Speaking of things that stink and also psych wards and asylums, before it was Ontario's legislative assembly, Queen's Park was home to the University Hospital for the Insane. And you can't even make this up. Apparently it's haunted by the white lady. You're telling me. With more on that, here's producer Glenn Bergogner.
4: And the white lady isn't even the only apparition to haunt these halls of Queen's Park. But before I dive into the others, let's quickly touch on what Queen's Park was before being the staple of provincial politics in Ontario. It was previously owned by King's College. That is, until the city of Toronto voted that the college had to become secular and it converted to the University of Toronto. The land in which now houses the legislative assembly was actually used as a woman's mental hospital In an era where psychiatry, psychology, and generally the understanding of mental illness was, well, let's politely say much less understood. And was known as the University Lunatic Asylum that operated from about 1850 until about 1860. And as you can imagine, the treatment of patients at this time was less than stellar and borderline horrifying. But as time went on and the understanding and treatment of these patients evolved, the building was moved to its former location at Queen's Park, and the provincial government then took over the land and moved in, and has since been the legislative assembly since 1893, but don't think there haven't been reports of ghosts or spirits roaming the halls since then, such as the aforementioned White Lady, who's known to mournfully wail and randomly appear along the third floor of the building, or let's touch on the angry soldier. The spirit of, who is believed to be First World War hero Charles Rutherford, who angrily stomps up and down the grand staircase seen in his full regimental dress. Or how about we just talk about the flat out terrifying and disturbing hanging woman, who is supposed to be a spirit that appears to be hanging from a hook in a long dark tunnel in the basement. In all reports, none of these ghosts have appeared to be violent or extremely hostile, but remain as terrifying urban legends to any who wander these halls. So just remember, if you ever find yourself within the halls of Queen Park, alone at night for any reason, there's a good chance you're probably truly not alone. And my personal advice would be just to avoid the basement. I don't know about you, but there is absolutely nothing positive to see a woman on a hook hanging from a ceiling in a tunnel.
0: If you're looking for a last-minute Toronto costume, might I suggest going as the winter plan? Just walk around shrugging at folks. Or you could throw on a tool belt and walk around with a picture of your extended family. You're an N12. Or grab a box of Metamucil and a stack of messy papers. You're now the landlord tenant board. This podcast is brought to you by 640 Toronto and features audio from shows across the Chorus Entertainment Network. My name's Danny Stover. Today in TO is produced by me, Glenn Bergonier, and David Spargala. Chris Dunner and Andrew Dernford are advisors to the show. Come on back for an all-new episode next Wednesday. Till then, enjoy your week, stay safe, and don't get scared now. Bye.